And in all fairness, who wouldn't want to own part of the internet? Hello and welcome to the Noob Investing Podcast, Episode 8, Investing in Ethereum. I'm your host, Jaron, and today I'm going to go over the second largest cryptocurrency by market cap in the world, namely Ethereum. Today I'll talk about what Ethereum is, what it does, how it does what it does, what's coming down the pipeline with ETH 2.0, and what my own personal take on Ethereum is. So stay glued to your Spotify account, dear listeners. But before I get into more specifics regarding Ethereum, first, a disclaimer. Once again, dear listeners, I feel compelled to tell you that I am not a financial advisor, and this podcast, if you couldn't tell based on the name, doesn't provide any financial advice whatsoever. I am a noob investor, and if you decide to take anything I say on this cast as financial advice, then that's on you. This podcast is meant purely for entertainment and educational purposes only, so keep that in mind. Everything mentioned on this podcast is purely my opinion and views and should not under any circumstance be taken as financial advice. As I have said numerous times, I'm still in the process of learning about investing and I'll be the first to admit that I know pretty much nothing before I start researching for the podcast. And what I learn, I try to share with you because I know that there are many people like me who are thinking about investing or have just started and have so many questions that aren't being answered. I should also disclose that I actually own a bit of Ethereum as well, so despite my best efforts at being unbiased regarding Ethereum, you may want to take what I say on this cast with a grain of salt and do your own research regarding Ethereum. The last thing I need is to be accused of manipulating the Ethereum price. So with that bit of PSA out of the way, let's get started. What is Ethereum? Well, I kind of already touched on this a bit at the very beginning of this episode, and it's the second largest cryptocurrency in the world in terms of market cap and is right there behind Bitcoin. I'm not really sure why people keep adding the qualifier that is that it's the second largest in terms of market cap because I haven't heard about any other commonly used metrics to rank cryptos. Still haven't heard anyone say it's the biggest in terms of NFTs or smart contract use or anything like that. And as far as I know, market cap is kind of the only metric people use, so it's weird in that regard. But that tangent aside, Ethereum, much like Bitcoin, is also a blockchain technology-based proof-of-work and cryptography-using system. But unlike Bitcoin, Ethereum is much more than just a digital currency. While Bitcoin uses the blockchain technology system in order to decentralize digital currency, Ethereum uses it for many more things. I think to understand exactly what Ethereum is and why it's so much more than Bitcoin, it's important to understand that basically Bitcoin is to blockchain technology what Spotify is to the smart mode. Using blockchain for Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies is just one possible application of the technology, but of course, there are more and When the technology first came on the scene, people were wondering what else they could use it for. 
The problem was though that at the time when Bitcoin emerged, it was the only blockchain technology-based system and it runs on what is known as a Turing incomplete language. This specific type of coding language is apparently very simple, so it was more difficult to do more complex stuff with it, like building your own custom applications, for example. This meant that if anyone wanting to use blockchain to run their applications would need to build something new. And this is where Ethereum comes in, or I should say the Ethereum network. Ethereum is a decentralized network that lets people make and run their do-it-yourself applications, or dApps for short. Ethereum was first proposed in 2013 and founded by Vitalik Buterin and others in 2014. Vitalik just so happened to be the co-founder of Bitcoin Magazine at the time, which is an interesting little factoid to keep in mind. But basically, Ethereum functions as a platform to allow you or anyone else to create your own decentralized dApps that no one, including yourself, can alter once they've been made. In order to do this, you quote-unquote simply need to learn the Ethereum language known as Solidity and get started working on your dApps. Once your dApp or dApps are made, they can be run on the Ethereum network using thousands of computers or nodes across the world. Again, in case I need to make the distinction more clear, Bitcoin is a currency while Ethereum is a network or platform that allows people to run dApps. Now you might be asking, okay, but why do this? Why would anyone want to go through all the trouble of creating dApps and learning a specific coding language for this? Well, Ethereum's goal is to decentralize the internet and the way the Ethereum network incentivizes people to use the platform is through the use of their own digital currency, known as Ether. So remember that Ether is the actual cryptocurrency and Ethereum refers to the net network where you can use that cryptocurrency or make dApps. If you are wondering what exactly I mean by decentralizing the internet, then think about, for example, Facebook that has had numerous problems with privacy and scandals about people's data, or Google that basically knows everything you've ever searched for. The reason this happens is because one large company or organization in that case has complete control over the data and can do a lot with it, hence many parts at least of the internet are centralized and what Ethereum is trying to do is to basically take control from large organizations and instead put it in the hands of the users to maintain and keep safe. So that is some of the key points I wanted to touch on regarding what Ethereum and Ether are. Now let's move on to how Ethereum does what it does. First and foremost, it's important to understand that Ethereum does use blockchain like Bitcoin. However, the major distinction between the two is not only the language used for them, but in the way they operate. In many circles, I've heard the comparison of Bitcoin to gold and of Ether to oil, and I think it's quite a good one, actually. The reason I think that is that Bitcoin over the long run may get used as an alternative storage of value rather than actual gold, and much like gold, won't actually be used as a daily payment option. Unlike Bitcoin, Ether, the cryptocurrency of the Ethereum network, is more like oil and the reason for that is that it's used by people to allow their dApps to run and function on the Ethereum network. It essentially acts as a payment to the Ethereum miners or nodes to run and process any transactions. While I could go down the entire rabbit hole of gas and way and also gigaway and how all of those fit in with the dApps in the general economy of Ethereum, I think I will just try to sum it up as follows. Basically, 
ether is used to pay for transactions and gas refers to the price or fee that has to be paid in order in ether to execute the transaction by the nodes and importantly to note about ether compared to bitcoin is that while bitcoin has a fixed amount ether does not so of course ethereum is more than just the value of ether because as i said ethereum is an entire platform to run dapps Many of these dApps are used for decentralized finance or DeFi as it's referred to. Dapps, unlike apps, are open sourced and based on smart contracts, so no siloing of data. And for an example of this, you can think of lending or and borrowing of uh, money. This is something that can easily be done using blockchain technology. And on Ethereum, there are several dApps that do this already, like Aave or Compound, for example. In addition, Ethereum functions through use of smart contracts, which are essentially essentially just if-else statements and they self-execute. This is, of course, a feature and not a bug. And the reason I say this is because if you look up Ethereum, what you will notice is that there is Ethereum, which is the second largest crypto, and then there is Ethereum Classic. So it's actually a rather interesting story what happened there, as Ethereum Classic is the old version of Ethereum or the original Ethereum chain. And the current Ethereum is the chain that split off from it. The reason Ethereum and Ethereum Classic underwent what is known as a fork is because of an incident referred to as DAO. The DAO was a digital, decentralized, autonomous organization, hence the abbreviation DAO, and it had an objective to provide a new decentralized business model for organizing both commercial and nonprofit enterprises. The way it functioned was through the use of smart contracts, but a smart contract is only as good as it was written or coded to be, so if there are any errors or vulnerabilities in it, then someone can exploit it. And this DAO was crowdfunded by token sales in 2016 and had a lot of money invested in it. However, someone ended up finding a vulnerability in the smart contract of the DAO and made off with like a third of all the money that was stored in it, which was worth about $50 million at the time. This, of course, was a huge problem, and the Ethereum developers debated what to do about this. Some people thought that the attack was a valid, although unethical, thing to do. Other people wanted the Ether to be reappropriated because it was being held in a 28-day holding account, and others calling for the DAO to be terminated and shut down altogether. In the end, the Ethereum network was hard-forked to move the funds in the DAO to a recovery address where they could be exchanged back to Ethereum by their original owners. This hard fork is what led to Ethereum and the Ethereum Classic, which was the original chain. So yeah, while smart contracts can be great, ultimately they are only as good as the people who made them. And it's definitely important to keep in mind if you decide to get into the Ethereum platform yourself and use smart contracts, for example. So yeah, that's just a little interesting uh, piece of information I found out regarding the smart contracts and uh, at least one of the applications that uh, was and I think still is available on the Ethereum network. But I thought that piece of inf- uh, history regarding Ethereum was quite, well, it doesn't get talked about all that often, but I think it was a rather useful piece of information to bring up. The next thing I should talk about is the recent explosion of NFTs, which stand for non-fungible token. These are a version of real-world items or moments, but that are crystallized as an item or NFT, in this case, on the blockchain, and can therefore be bought or sold relatively easily because it's verified by the blockchain that is the original version, or at least that there is digital proof of it. 
Famously now, Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter and Square, who was the first person who got to ever tweet something, decided to make his original first tweet on into an NFT, and it was sold for just shy of $3 million. Now, if you aren't aware and think, well, I guess the first tweet ever on Twitter from the guy who made and owns Twitter can maybe sell for that price if someone is crazy enough to buy that. Well, hold on, because a random JPEG from some artist that you never heard of sold for $69 million. Yes, insert the deep sigh at humanity right now. But yeah, honestly, I think while in theory, NFTs are an interesting concept that tries to connect the physical world and bring it into the digital world, the actual implementation is still not quite there yet. In addition, I think at least that many people don't fully understand what an NFT actually is or represents and are just buying into the hype and buy a neon cat gift for more than $600,000, perhaps thinking they now own the right to the gift, but in reality, they don't. Basically, all the NFT really does is indicate on the blockchain that an owner is selling or sold something, for example, with the Kings of Leon selling their album as an nft all that really means is that they on the ethereum blockchain that they are selling their song or album the reason people buy it is because it's validated it's on the blockchain and and once it's on the blockchain it cannot be changed anymore and it's also one of a kind right and the people selling it are well the kings of leons or they're relatively well known so it gives some validity to the item in that sense Whenever you have something from a famous person or a group and it is rare and can be verified that it was sold by that person or group of people, large groups of people will gravitate towards it. The only problem is that people misconstrue owning an NFT as owning the right to the Kings of Leon album, for example. Unlike a copyright or a patent or something like that, that is enforced by and backed by law, an NFT isn't and also in the case of this album, won't pay you royalties when it gets paid and played because the Kings of Leon still own the actual rights to it. Or maybe their record producer uh, does, I think. So important to keep in mind about NFTs, they represent something on the blockchain, but it's not in any way, at least currently, enforceable in the real world. Maybe one day it might be, but for right now, no one is going to pay you royalties if they use a Neon Cat GIF, for example. So those are some of the things I wanted to discuss regarding how Ethereum does what it does. Now, I want to talk about what Ethereum is currently busy with, and that is the implementation of ETH 2.0. ETH 2.0 is the much-anticipated and needed update to the Ethereum network that people have been waiting to happen for a while now. So in order to understand why ETH 2.0 is so highly anticipated, I first need to talk to you about the problems limiting the Ethereum network. And as I mentioned earlier, Ethereum is much different than Bitcoin, so of course that means that it also faces different problems than Bitcoin does. I would argue, though, that Bitcoin and Ethereum seem to have people with very different views and mindsets regarding the two of them. For example, if you've listened to episode 5 on, of this podcast on Bitcoin, you will know that I mentioned that Bitcoin had this huge problem regarding the amount of transactions that could be performed on the network, and this argument on whether or not to increase the amount of transactions led to a fork or split of the Bitcoin community into Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash. In that same episode, I also mentioned that Ethereum could process only about 20 to 30 transactions per second, 
which isn't much more than Bitcoin, especially if you look and contrast that with the 24,000 that Visa can do. So clearly, the number of transactions the network can do is of vital importance if we want to actually be able to use the crypto for daily payments or for using it at all, to be honest. However, as I hinted at, it seems that the Bitcoin supporters are against updates to the Layer 1 system to improve transactions, while Ethereum supporters seem to be waiting for the promised updates to transactions from ETH 2.0. So very different mindsets there is what I'm trying to get at. And this means that Bitcoin most likely will never get updates to its layer one, but only to layer two, which will cap what it will be able to handle in terms of transactions. This is not the case, however, for Ethereum. But before I go any further, maybe I need to explain what layers are. Essentially, layer one refers to how the transactions get validated on the blockchain by the consensus mechanism say like proof of work, where you have all the miners compete to solve a problem and the winner gets rewarded. So a change to layer one would likely include a change from proof of work consensus to, for example, proof of stake. Of course, there are other features as well, like sharding, but we will get to that in just a second. Then we have layer two. And an example of layer two would be like the Bitcoin Lightning Network, which allows people to actually pay small amounts of Bitcoin fast without making any changes to layer one. So in the case of Bitcoin, it will likely not get layer one changes since that would mean that it changes from proof of work to proof of stake. So instead of miners competing to solve problems and burning a ton of energy to do so, they will instead stake a ton of money into the system in order to be approved as miners and then they are incentivized to keep everything running smoothly or risk losing their investment. And actually, with regards to layer one, that's what Ethereum wants to do, namely. So move from a proof of work to a proof of stake, because in theory that should be almost as safe as proof of work, but much more efficient. In addition to that, Ethereum also wants to implement sharding, which will break up all the users and transactions into different pools, which will help make transactions faster and easier. Together, these two factors, both on layer one and layer two, were set by Vitalik to allow Ethereum to improve the amount of transactions by 100x each. These layer one solutions are being worked on, but they have had delays in the past. But if implemented and if Vitalik is true to his word, that would be a 100x improvement. So that would be quite amazing, actually. In addition to layer one, Ethereum also has layer two solutions being developed like Optimism. Optimism is a premier Ethereum layer two solution. However, instead of rolling out in March 2021, it has been delayed to at least July. So we'll see. Bright side is that there are several ETH layer 2 solutions in development that might instead do the job like Polygon, which is doing a good job so far at least. But you also have others like XDAI and Loopring, for example. So yeah, I should also mention that with ETH 2.0, there will also be changes coming to gas fees. High gas prices limits adoption of Ethereum for smaller hodlers and users, which means Ethereum can't scale up efficiently. In order to solve this, ETH 2.0 proposes a plan to burn some of the Ether that would have been paid to miners as the base fee for adding a transaction to the blockchain. This is already making many of the miners unhappy though as it will reduce how profitable it will be to mine. Of course, if this change gets and allows people to make more transactions, then maybe despite miners getting a smaller portion of the overall cake, they can still get a larger piece of the cake simply by virtue of the the whole cake growing in size. 
So now I want to provide you with my nuanced take on Ethereum and ETH 2.0 based on everything I just talked about, but also some things I decided to leave out because it would simply make this episode way too long otherwise. Again, let me start by saying this is not investing advice, but just my personal thoughts on Ethereum. In short, I am obviously quite interested in the Ethereum platform because I think it was the first real platform to consider what else can be done using blockchain rather than just a basic cryptocurrency. And since then, it's added quite a suite of options and functions which make it more and more interesting moving forward. However, that being said, I think Ethereum has struggled with keeping up to date with the rate of innovation coming from various altcoins with one of its potential competitors being Cardano, which was also created by one of the original co-founders of Ethereum, namely Charles Hoskinson. We are also seeing that in in the delays of ETH 2.0 now, though, as well. I am of the opinion that if Ethereum doesn't switch over to ETH 2.0 soon, that it risks losing ground to coins like Cardano because base Ethereum is just not up to snuff at all right now because of its proof-of-work concept, as well as other uh, lacking features. If ETH 2.0 really starts to get going this year, I think it will be a massive game changer for the Ethereum network, with both Layer 1 and Layer 2 solutions providing a 100x improvement to transactions respectively. Theoretically, this could mean that ETH 2.0 will be 10,000 times better transactions than base Ethereum, but we will need to see how all of that unfolds with regard to that, but also with any new cases for the Ethereum blockchain that get developed over time. Of course, I didn't even get the opportunity to talk, talk, really talk about all the stable coins that are also available on Ethereum. I think maybe I'll need to do a completely separate episode just on that, but stay tuned for that. That's also a feature of Ethereum right now even. It's not something that still needs to come up. As for my own take on Ethereum, I think it still needs to prove itself that it can keep developing as fast as its competitors, if not better. But if so, it has great potential ahead of it. Unlike Bitcoin, which likely will never change or improve, Ethereum is trying to improve. It has more potential and bigger aspirations as a project than just being a form of currency. That's why I would say I believe in the project. Is it better than Cardano or Polkadot though? I honestly am not sure, but I will continue to research those as well. So stay tuned for that in a future episode. In any case, Ethereum provides an interesting parallel to the start of the internet with its vast potential and ever-evolving nature, with one big exception, and that is now we have the potential to not only be a part of it, but to also grow and profit from it ourselves by owning a part of it. And in all fairness, who wouldn't want to own part of the internet? So that was what I wanted to say regarding Ethereum, and of course there is always more to talk about as new features keep getting developed and Ethereum transitions into ETH 2.0, but I think I did an okay job of summarizing Ethereum in its current state as of this episode, and if I didn't, I'll probably hear about it from all the Ethereum bulls out there. And with that said, I'd like to provide you with some of my references in case you want to dive a little deeper into Ethereum yourself. So first off, a good source of information on all things Ethereum is ethereum.org. It's the official website of Ethereum and has all the information on getting started with Ethereum or what all the different aspects of it are and such. So definitely if you want some of the best information out there from the source itself, then ethereum.org is the place to go. In the same vein, I would also recommend vitalik.ca. This is Vitalik's own personal site where he does a lot of writing on everything related to Ethereum, but also 
trends in crypto and blockchain in general. In general, I wouldn't recommend starting with this if you aren't already quite familiar with crypto and Ethereum in specific. Otherwise, the information on this site might be a bit overwhelming for someone who is just getting their toes wet with Ethereum. Importantly to note, though, is that Vitalik does this writing to provide people with more detailed explanation and information regarding not only Ethereum, but also blockchain. In addition to these references, I would also recommend pretty much as always Investopedia. They have a ton of information on Ethereum as well, so check them out. In case you don't want to do a lot of reading, you can also listen to some podcasts on Ethereum. Both the Lex Friedman podcast and the Tim Ferriss show have interviewed Vitalik about Ethereum and discussed Ethereum and the crypto space, so definitely go check those out. Also, much like Bitcoin, the Bitcoin episode, I would also like to recommend the Coin Bureau and Crypto Casey as great YouTube channels that explain a ton on not only blockchain but and crypto, but Ethereum in specific as well. And lastly, if you want, you can also listen to what former ARK analyst James Wong thinks about Ethereum. You can check out the Dave Lee channel, episode 318 on YouTube for that. And yeah, that was it regarding references for this episode. So if you want to reach out to ask me something personal or you would like to ask a question on the cast, you can reach me at noobinvesting at hotmail.com. In addition, if you want to join a thriving community of people eager to learn more about investing, well, that's probably not how I would describe my Facebook group as of yet. But if you still want to join this remote group of investors consisting of me, myself and I, then go to the Noob Investors Facebook group and join now. So thanks again for listening, everyone, and talk to you soon. Peace.